Enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Daniel, and with me today is Stacy, and today we are going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. But before we get into that, Stacy, what you been up to, man? Well, I've uh, been watching Solo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I watched, uh, obviously I watched that. I've, I've uh, caught up on Deadpool, so all my comic book movie needs have been met. Um, and actually, right after I watched that, I uh, tried to do a deep dive just because I know that there were a lot of Easter eggs in the movie. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't sure exactly how many. So, like, I was, I seriously, for like at least a couple of days afterwards, was trying to find out who Crimson Dawn was. I mean, I felt like I had heard that before. And anyway, so before we get, I don't want to spoil anything or get into anything too much, but, uh, or too soon. But anyway, so that's, that's really what I've been doing. I've been trying to also play a little bit of God of War. Um, maybe. It's definitely in my top five games ever, probably, the new God of War. Um, but uh, it's just really dense. And, you know, I guess all of them kind of had, you know, collectibles and things that you could do on the side. So that game actually takes a while. It's pretty pretty deep for an action game. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so that's what I've been doing, play it, watching, a, watching a little bit of comic book movies and uh, playing God of War. Now, you've been telling me God of War actually, he started off as a a Roman god, but now he's living with the Viking gods. Well, he's hidden. He's he's kind of trying to stay, to lay low um, in, I guess, Scandinavia, wherever. It doesn't tell you exactly where. He's in the snow, and it's obviously among the Norse gods. Um, and you find that out very quickly, like almost immediately in the, into the game. Um, this, is, this is also... Not spoiler. I mean, it's the it's the first thing that happens. Your wife is dead. She doesn't die. She is dead. Thanks for ruining the game. Oh God. Yeah, and you're welcome. And you can you know <laughs> catch me next week. Catch me next week. Uh, so uh, yeah. So the so your wife is dead, and you are making a pyre, I believe. And uh, you are visited. I'll just say that you are visited by a uh, a Norse god. Uh, Almost, at, I mean, right at the beginning of the game, and then from there, that sets you on your adventure. Um, I have not. Well, like I said, I'm not going to go too far into, it, but it's it's really cool because, yeah, like you said, it, he was among the Roman gods. He's fought the Titans and killed Titans. I mean, they were running out of mythology or Greek mythology, um, and I really like the direction it went, where it's like, well, there weren't just Greek gods; there were Norse gods, and I imagine they could go. Egyptian, and they can go other areas as well if they wanted to, um, and kind of keep him, keep him going because he, because he is effectively a god among men. You know, he's killed Ares. Well, he killed everybody, but he took Ares' place as a god of war. So, but yeah, it's an awesome game. It's an awesome game. I highly recommend it, even for people who aren't necessarily fans or maybe kind of got uh, disillusioned by God of War in the past and maybe thought it was repetitive. This is everything you loved about God of War with a fantastic story uh, to go with it. So, What about for the casual players that only have about 10 minutes a day? Well, you're talking to me, too. I mean, I've got you know kids and, and, uh, and a newborn. And so 
playing games in general has been very difficult. So Telltale's right up my alley, you know, the games where you <laughs> you've got like two hour doses and it's pretty much a uh, you know a point and click adventure walking simulator whatever you want to call it for the most part it's not even a walking simulator basically it's a story that plays out and you make decisions um and so uh those have been right up my alley because you know two hour segments i can play those over the course of a few days uh but for the casual fan or the fan that doesn't have a whole lot of time i think that you you can't walk away from it for too long because i think you'll kind of forget the story Mm -hmm. um and I think that you'll forget over time, like what your what your combinations are, because there are button combos uh, to do really devastating moves. So if you you know you may forget that kind of stuff, but I mean it's stuff you can rehash. You can always go back to the menu. There's so much customization uh, for your character that you can customize them going into a battle while you're in a battle um, to to create advantages for yourself to increase damage against certain enemies. Uh, so it's pretty deep from that perspective as well, like some RPG elements as well. But I think you could, you'd need more than 10 minutes, but I think if you could play 15 or 20 minutes and you'd set it down, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and that's kind of what I've had to do, play 30 minutes here and set it down and then you know pick it up again a few days later. So I could picture you getting to one of the boss battles or something like that, and you're like, babe, give me just 15 more minutes. I just if that's the case, it's just that's a wash. I'm I'm not doing anything. When it's over with, I'll deal with the consequences. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. What uh, about you? Not much. Uh, I actually attended a con this weekend. Um, it was my first time going to this convention. Um, it's a convention in Houston. It's called Comic Palooza. Uh, this year was their tenth year doing the the convention in Houston. Uh, I believe it's their tenth year in existence as well. Uh, this convention was, it was amazing, man. Um, you know, we've talked about other cons before and how we, there's a lot of things at these conventions that we don't like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And most in particular, uh, a certain con in Dallas that seems to keep selling tickets and not really care about the crowd to where it's just, you know, so crowded you could barely do anything and enjoy yourself. Well, everything about this convention is, is amazing. Um, there was nothing. I don't think, you know, I sat here after I got home Saturday and I only went for one day. Um, after I got home Saturday, I started thinking about what negatives about the con can I think of? And I, I just could not think of anything that was negative about the con. The, the staff was amazing. You walk up to the staff members, you can ask them a question. They had an answer for you. That's awesome. You walk up to the volunteers, you had a question. They had an answer. They were friendly. They helped get you where you needed to go. Um, the panels were freaking organized. It's like nobody's business. I mean, they got you into the panel. They got you seated. Show started. Show ended. You were out. I mean, um, the lines. When you go up to the line for a celebrity, the line may have looked massive. You know, they, they And one thing I really appreciated was they snaked the lines. So you didn't have these long, massive lines that were just hogging up space. They had everything snaked off. And, you know, I'm walking by and I saw like Kristen Ritter's booth, for example, and I saw just how massive that line was. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait for her. I come back about 20 minutes later and the line is like, there's like only like maybe 20, 30 people in the line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck happened? Um, so, yeah, they were getting people through. Something awesome that they do at this convention is for the big name celebrities, 
before you get into the line of that celebrity, you go to a different booth and you buy a ticket and you select your photograph and everything there at that booth. So when you get oh, into cool. the line for the celebrity, all you have to do is hand them the ticket and the and the picture and you say your thing to the celebrity, get your picture signed and you're out. So, I mean, it was just really, really well organized. Um, I, I don't think I've seen a con that organized in a long time. And yeah. mad props. Uh, this is definitely a con I want to go back and spend more time at. So I'm actually making plans for next year. If, as long as it's around the same time, Memorial Day weekend, I'm probably going to spend all three days there because there's events that go way, way into the night, um, all the way to midnight. Uh, it, and they have stuff outside for the kids. There's a lot of stuff for the kids. So if you ever wanted to bring your kids to the event, they had a Lego world set up. They had battle bots set up. Um, NASA was there. So they had a bunch of exhibits and some of the engineers out there talking about different things. It, it was just really amazing. That's awesome. I mean, I have never been to that particular con and you know, you and I both have been to other various cons in, in, a Texas and, and, you know, really across the nation. I've been to Dragon Con and a bunch of other places. And, and I, I really did enjoy Dragon Con, but it's a spe very specific or much more specific uh, experience, you know, for cosplay. And I think they do a lot of tabletop gaming there and stuff. So uh, it's not like, uh, you know, I guess, oh, fan, what is it, Fan Expo in Dallas? Yes. And, uh, yeah, and so we've had some... We've had positive experiences and negative experiences, and after hearing about this one, I definitely want to at least uh, give it a try next year. Yeah, so there was always one big con that we did every year, um, you, me, Rooster, and a couple other people. Uh, we would, you know, book the whole weekend and stay there and have a good time, except on Saturdays when it was just too crowded and we couldn't go. Uh, I think the big con that I want to do now is, is going to be comic Palooza. I mean, I, like I said, I can't find a fault in this con <laughs> and you know, I, I need, I need to ex uh, express there was probably just as many people at this convention as there was at fan expo. But at no yeah. point did I ever feel like I could not walk around the floor and I was there on their busiest day. I mean, I was able to stop at a booth. I was able to, talk to the vendors i was able to browse and look at merchandise i found seats at the panels with no problems i mean it, it it was an amazing experience and totally recommend this convention for anybody who wants to go <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely now well, I'm, are, go I'm going next year so they are touted as the largest convention in texas really so there you so go. It, it was awesome. The The convention center that they're in was completely remodeled. One thing I appreciated about the convention center is, you know, at typical convention centers, you have your nacho bar, your your convention center taco bar, stuff like that, that just cost outrageous amounts of money. Well, this convention center actually had four restaurants on the inside of it. Papado's, uh, McAllister's, and some barbecue place I can't think of the name off, and then a bar slash other high, it looked like a higher end restaurant. Um, yeah. but there's food options there for you. Uh, there's also a Starbucks upstairs. Um, there was a gift shop, the hotels right across the street. It, the convention center itself was 1.2 million square feet and the convention, the, uh, comic police took every available space that they could use in that convention center. So wow. you were able to spread out across three floors and yeah. do multiple things. It, it was, it was just 
perfect planning on the, the convention's part. I, I, I just, I cannot express that enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Like I said, I mean, I, I've, I've been in at these cons where things seem to stacked on top of one another and the experience just isn't very good. And, um, and it sounds like you said celebrities were more pleasant and the people were helpful that worked there, which is not always the case. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. Now, while I was there, um, I actually got to speak with uh, a local artist that lives in the Austin area. Um, her name's Kili Raka, and she does these fantastic paintings. Um, she uses watercolors, and she also does oils and things like that. And uh, we've actually interviewed her before on the Temple of Geek a couple years ago. Uh, but this time in particular, she had this amazing uh, Joker painting that she did from Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And I had to talk to her about the painting and just, you know, try to get caught up with her a little bit. So I recorded an interview with her while I was there on the floor. Um, so let's go ahead and take a listen to that right now. All right, I'm here at Comic Palooza 2018, and I'm at the booth 3633 with Kili Raka, an artist over at in the Austin area. Kili, how's it going today? It's going great. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about your art. So, um, well, been making art my whole life. Uh, I like to paint things that I like to paint, like nerdy things and bad guys and pop culture things. Um, I use acrylic and watercolor and yeah, just doing my thing. <laughs> now we've known each other for a while. We've, we've seen each other at multiple cons and stuff and you've always had new stuff that shows up. So there's one piece in particular that I see here that you've been kind of sharing on Instagram and it's here live in person. It's the uh, Joker piece. Can you tell me a little bit about this piece? How, how long it took you to make it? What inspired you to create this piece? It's uh, Joker the Animated Series? Yeah, so um, like you said, it's uh, the Joker from the Animated Series, which is uh, not only my favorite version of the Joker, um, but I don't know, I've, I've always been obsessed with the Joker my whole life. He's my favorite thing to paint. Uh, I've got lots of different versions of Joker, but I've never actually done a, like a direct homage to Bruce Timm's animated version. Um, I don't know, he's my favorite thing. It, it kind of like comes naturally whenever I, I want to paint something, I'm like, oh, the Joker, sure. Um, but yeah, I grew up watching it and, you know, Mark Hamill's a genius and when I think of the Joker, it's, he's what I think of is this version. So, you know, I put my own crazy colorful twist on it. Um, yeah, it took me probably like two days to paint it, 10 hours total, I'm thinking. Um, do like an underpainting with all the crazy like texture and the splatter and everything and then go in and do the details on his face. So yeah. I'm really happy with how it turned out. I've always wanted to do a painting like this, so you know, I just sat down and was like, I want to paint what I want to paint today. Well, it looks amazing. I mean, it's 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 wow. I, I mean, you have to see it in person to to really enjoy it. I mean, it's awesome. Um, is there any other pieces that you haven't done yet that you're looking forward to do, or you're excited to do, or maybe that you're scared to do? You know, um, I just started a painting the other day that I'm I'm really excited about. Uh, it's a creature from the Black Lagoon. I love Universal Monsters, and I've got my Bella Lugosi now. I've got my Frankenstein and my Bride. Um, but yeah, I've always wanted to, to finish up doing all these Universal Monster paintings. So it's a creature from the Black Lagoon, and he's drinking a tiki drink, which is pretty silly. Yeah. I love tiki stuff, so um, I'm really excited about that one. And I want to finish it, get it out here. 
Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Are you going to be sharing that on social media? Or oh, yeah. I think I've actually seen the, oh, the yeah, pictures on social yeah. media. So, awesome. Well, um, can you tell our audience how uh, they can find out more about you? Yes. Um, check out my Instagram. It's Keely Rocca on Instagram. Uh, my website's KeelyRoccaArt.com. Uh, yeah, check me out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking your time with me today. Cool. Thanks, guys. So that was Keely Rocca. If you want to learn out, uh, if you want to learn more about her, you can head on over to uh, Instagram.com forward slash Keely Rocca. That's spelled K-E-A-L-Y-R-A-C-C-A. And you can see all the art that she's done. Um, you can also check out her website, KeelyRockArt.com. All right, Stacy, let's go ahead and do this. Let's talk about. Let's get into it. Absolutely. <clears throat> so. In case you're living under a rock, Disney purchased uh, the Star Wars franchise and has been churning out a movie every year. So far, this is the fourth year in a row, and we've had four four fantastic and probably not so fantastic movies, according to the fans. Uh, before we even talk about the movie, how would you rate this film um, out of the top, the, the last four that's come out? If you were to rate... The Force Awakens, Rogue One, Last Jedi, and Solo. Where does this fall? Is this as good as Last yeah, Jedi? I, or? I, you know, that's a good question because, and, and I've, I've tried not to let other reviews or other comments affect my opinion, um, but that's almost impossible. Uh, you know, honestly, the, the more I thought about this, it's like I had to think about, like, what was my feeling leaving the theater um and and then how did i feel leaving the theater for each of the other you know iterations and so or installments so with episode seven i really i left the theater feeling very hopeful i felt i felt good because i just watched a movie that basically was a was i don't want to boil it down to oversimplify it was not just a retread of a new hope there were enough new beats. There were enough new new things that happened in the movie to make me excited about Star Wars again. You know, new characters, but it still felt, for the most part, like Star Wars. Uh, watching episode or Rogue One, Rogue One to me actually felt more like Star Wars um, than I think even Episode Seven did to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it had it just it just. And, and part of that could be because they went back to the older style. You got to see the old stormtroopers. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. But even though there weren't Jedis in it, I still felt like that had a more more of a Star Wars feel to it. Um, the only the only downside, I guess, really was that it was a downer movie. <laughs> you know, it uh, it didn't well downer in that the characters that you got to know uh, aren't going to be in the sequel. What? So, what? Uh, hey, by the way, this whole podcast is going to be spoilers. So throw that out there. Yeah, let's go ahead and throw that spoiler warning out there right now. We're go- we're gonna briefly. We're literally going to spoil every Star Wars movie that has come out uh, up to to, to to date. So, so for the last forty <laughs> years of Star Wars material, I'm talking about everything from Clone Wars to Rebels to A New Hope. To solo everything, everything, nothing is off limits. So you so, have been warned. You've been warned. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, with that, I, I think. Anyway, so 
in in terms of the hierarchy, I still episode seven is probably my the the best one maybe so far. We're up there around the top. Rogue One is up there. Um, I think a Last Jedi to me is last in the new in this in, in of the new four movies, and I think I put Solo ahead of it. So that would be my third favorite so far in the new the new canon, the new Star Wars movies. See, I like, and it's I think the Last Jedi for me was number one, and then I'm probably going to rate Solo as number two. Um, wow. Okay. And it's only because we got to see, and I don't want to get too much into it yet, but it's only because we get to see completely different side of Star Wars that you have not seen on film yet. Yeah. You usually yeah. read about it in books or might, might have seen it in some of the animated shows, but um, that's probably one of the reasons why I rate that a little bit higher than Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah, but and, but I felt like even in Rogue One, you kind of got to see that, you know, um, a different side of it. And I'll say this, and again, and then we can get into the movie. The reason why I rate it as high, and I may end up, if I saw it again, kind of like Infinity War. After I saw Infinity War two or three times, Infinity War may be my favorite. I don't know. He changed um, his review, people. I know. Well, it's up there. It's in my top five for sure. With Guardians of the Galaxy and Infinity War, they are. I love them for completely different reasons. And I would watch them over and over and over again for completely different reasons. With Solo, I left the theater happy and and i felt like i had had fun and that was an enjoyable movie experience when i left the last jedi i felt like i'd been punched in the stomach and it wasn't because it was a bad movie it was because it was everything that we had expected in a star wars movie had been subverted mm-hmm. you know all the things that we come to expect uh from the characters from the jedi what we've expected because of the expanded universe things that we've talked about in other podcasts they subverted all of your expectations, and so because of that, you didn't – everything you thought was going to happen, almost literally everything we thought was going to happen, the opposite happened or something – they went in a completely different direction. And and so I think because of that, it was like you didn't – you couldn't expect anything. You didn't know what to expect. And in this one, I think this was like a palate cleanser. You know, This was like – this movie was – gave you the ability to kind of <laughs> cleanse your – to, to – start over you know it's like okay this is this was fun it was just a fun movie and and i really and that's because of that i really enjoyed it awesome well let's go ahead and talk about the movie uh movies about han solo there it is all right that's over podcast <laughs> that's it episode over um so yeah i mean we get to see a young han approximately 10 years before we meet him on in a new hope right. uh right off the bat how did you feel about Aldrin Einrich's performance as Han Solo? I thought it was great. Uh, honestly, I didn't think that he tried. It, by the end of the movie, I did not think of him as trying to be. I thought of him as Han Solo. I didn't think of him as a new character or as somebody trying to do an imitation of of uh, Harrison Ford. I thought of him as Han Solo. So he sold it to me. I completely believed it. Uh, he was fun. He was charming. He was still naive, and so, and so, I think you you you've gotten to see him this particular character, even though he's world weary to a certain extent because he grew up, which we'll get into the the way he grew up. Um, I felt like I mean I completely forgot about it. It didn't even cross my mind by the end of the movie. So I really enjoyed his performance. So now, what about I, you? I, I I thought he was great. Um, you know, going into the film. 
I was reading reviews and listening to people just kind of bash the guy. They were like, you know, why did Disney choose this guy? He doesn't look anything like Han Solo. He doesn't sound anything like Han Solo. He doesn't have Harrison Ford's swagger, you know, stuff like that. And all that played to his advantage. <laughs> I, I, I agree because, I mean, we're looking at a guy who is 10 years younger than we initially meet him in the franchise. Right. So he needs to have that that optimism and and all that, you know, just to kind of get uh, to kind of lead us into where he's go- where we're where we're eventually going to meet him at. Um, so I, I thought uh, Alden. I hope I'm saying his name right. It's one thing I don't like about him is I can't pronounce his name. But <laughs> I, I I really appreciated his performance. I mean, I thought he was good. He did not have Harrison Ford's charisma um but he had a certain charm to him that i just i enjoyed and could not stop watching yeah absolutely i I thought he was i thought he was good and i think that the marketing for this movie was just terrible it was horrible and but i think that was because disney knew this was going to be one of those movies that people were probably not going to go out to see so they're like let's just do what we can do yeah maybe so but i mean some of the stories that came out such as the one with or i don't know if they if we're just in this day and age of 24-hour news cycles where we need something and maybe the fact that there was a, an, an acting coach on set wasn't that big of a deal, which it later came to be the truth, that it, that's not that big of a deal. But the way that it could be construed was to say, well, they're trying to do some sort of imitation of Harrison Ford and so he needs more acting coaching so that he can achieve that. And I'm like, I just don't – I don't think that that did the movie any service. And so if that's what kept you from watching it, then you probably shouldn't be listening to this because we're going to ruin it and go watch it and then come back. <laughs> All right. So we 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 talked a little bit about uh, Solo himself. So let's talk about the way the movie opens up. It opens up on the planet of Corellia. It just kind of jumps right in there. Uh, before it opens up on Corellia, we see the the long time ago in a galaxy far away. And then it kind of did something I was not expecting. It did the kind of blue text that we've seen from the clone wars yeah um so instead of seeing an opening crawl we saw the blue text come up and kind of set the stage what did you think about that opening it was familiar but it wasn't you know so it's like you you kind of got uh the you get the star wars feel from the beginning uh and and i so it wasn't as jarring i guess as to me as because you do have kind of a crawl um but you didn't have that in Rogue One, so yeah, Rogue One just kind of started. Yeah, it just starts with like a trumpet sound, and you know, and then you you get get right into the movie. So I felt like that was familiar, and so it kind of sets the stage for something that's I don't know. I, I didn't know what to expect, but it eased me into whatever was about to happen. Well, because immediately the action starts. I, I hope that if they continue on with these Star Wars stories, that they find a common ground and keep something that's going to be universal across the films to kind of make it their own version of the crawl. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that way, we know that it's going to be a Star Wars movie, but it's going to be slightly different from the saga films. Right, right. Uh, Corellia. We right off the bat we see um, Han Solo's home planet. Uh, at the time, he's just known as Han. <laughs> right. And uh, he's running away from some people because he stole a power source of some sort. Um, and a speeder. And a speeder, of course. <laughs> which actually looked really cool. It looked like one of them old school type of like hot rod cars. 
Uh, yes. So I, I appreciated that. I was like, all right, we're going back to George Lucas's roots here. Um, exactly. That's what I think. I think that may have been an homage. So. It, 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 quite possible. Uh, from there, we get introduced to the character of Kirup, and uh, we find out that they're, I guess, love interests. They're, they're boyfriend, girlfriend. They've I don't, I don't kind know. of maybe even grown up together a little bit, um, or they at least have been at this orphanage slash, you know, it's like to me it reminded me of, you know, in the, I guess in the 17, 1800s um, in England where you'd have these, you'd have newsies or you'd have, you know, little street urchins that run around and, and that's, funny. Uh, that's exactly what I thought of when I saw that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's basically what they do. They run around and pickpocket or steal and they bring it back to the, you know, the den mother, which was a giant snake worm monster yeah, that, so, lives, that gets easily sunburnt. When I saw that, I'm like, Oh man, please don't let this set the tone for the movie. Cause I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I didn't like the puppet. Well, I think that's the, that's the part that I think was the, the most egregious, but I also think that that gave the movie charm. If it had stuck with that and that kind of was the thing for the whole movie, that could have been bad. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, I, I would agree that that was the that was the strangest part that almost took me out of the movie. Uh, but I do want to note this too: something about Karelia, and this is from the EU, and I'm glad that they brought it into this. Uh, movie uh, was that Corellia now I, I did not know that it was supposedly a you know basically essentially a shithole did not know that um, I, th- I didn't know that that's kind of the that the rest of the galaxy looks at Corellia like you just drew the short straw if you live there um, but what I did get uh, or what I did know and they brought from the EU was this idea that that is a hub for building starships so Kirillia has always been known in in the books and the expanded, you know, extended universe uh, that that is the place where especially Imperial starships are, are made. But they make all kinds of starships. So even the YT cruiser that is the Millennium Falcon was built on Kirillia and all of the big, you know, star destroyers. And you even get to see if see one being built. They are built in Kirillia. So. We also saw TIE Fighters being manufactured during the chase scene. Right. And I swear, I can't remember what the name of those capital ships are for the uh, Rebels, but the little half-looking, oval-looking ships. I yeah. can't think of the name of it. I swear I saw one of those taken off of there, off the planet. And you may have seen it taken off of the planet, but the interesting thing, fun fact, those are supposedly made on Mon Calamari. So... Like where Admiral Akbar and the Squid Face people are from, mm-hmm. I can't remember what their actual name is. But as a as a collector growing up, they were just Squid Face. Um, those two people are both from Mon Calamari, and that's where those rounded ships are made. So, nerd alert. So I, I'm, I have a feeling that if I go back and watch this movie again, I'm going to see a little bit more Easter eggs of different ships. Oh, there's all kinds. I mean, that that one you just mentioned may very well be on there and was not mentioned anywhere else that I've seen on the Internet yet. So we uh, during this scene, we he gets introduced or we get introduced to the Slugden mother who I cannot remember her freaking name. I didn't write it down. Proxima. 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 Thank you. Lady Proxima. Yeah. Uh, she's getting ready to kill Solo for basically not bringing back the money for depositing the shipment or whatever they were supposed to be handling off. Uh, he pulls out a rock and pretends like it's a thermal detonator. 
yeah. which I thought was a pretty funny uh, throwback to Return of the Jedi when Leia does the same thing to um, with Jabba and all them with the thermal detonator. She doesn't throw it, but she pulls it out and threatens them. So I just thought that was I don't know. Maybe I was reading too much into it. But I no, I think that you're right. That. I think that was that's uh, yeah. I think that was exactly what you think it is. And then um, he chunks a rock which breaks the glass and causes the Proxima to get burned and him and uh, Jira take off and uh, they start getting chased again. And while they're getting chased, they end up at a, a, I guess a, like an airport type situation. It's like a a depot, a a grand central station of sorts. You know, we're basically, that's where travel depot people are going all different directions. Um, And I'm not sure if it's starships or trains and probably both. They bribe an Imperial officer to get him through the gate, and when they, uh, she finally opens the gate, only Han gets through and leaves Kira behind. And he yes. vows he was going to come back and save her. Now, a couple things about this scene. Of course, this is another scene riddled with, with uh, little Easter eggs and stuff, and I didn't get to, get to catch them all. But did you happen to notice when they... When he Han walked up to the uh, room that was showing like join the Empire and all that stuff, and it was playing Darth Vader's uh, Imperial March theme, it was an upbeat version of it. So <laughs> that music is actually canon to the inside world of Star Wars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, while he's there, he goes and tries to enlist in the Imperial Army so he can get off the planet, and he starts speaking with an officer. Now this is a scene I was I, I don't know how I feel about. Because he asks Han for a surname, which he never provides one. And so he just puts him down as Solo, as meaning that he's one and only. And that's how he gets his name Han Solo. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? That an Imperial officer gave Han his last name and Han just goes with it for the rest of his life. Well, I heard or I read something on on the interwebs and, and this makes me feel better. He may have a another last name, um, and so he's just going with Han, and they gave him Solo, and so that just seems to work. And apparently in this galaxy far, far away, you don't need any ID to join anything or go anywhere, So, which is cool, I guess. Um, it just seems like that's a security issue. Regardless... That made made this more palatable too for me that that they just gave it to him. But I thought it was kind of ham fisted in there. I I didn't really. This is this probably to me was my least favorite part of the movie was him getting his iconic last name randomly from some you know just some recruiter for the Empire. But again, I think the take home from this is they didn't spend a lot of time on it. And they immediately get back into the story. So you don't have time to really worry about that or think about that. You go right back into the action. So I think that helps. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know how I felt about it either. Uh, you have an Imperial officer who, you know, 10 years later, you could tell he hates the Imperials, basically giving him his last name, and he just kind of rolls with it. But, I, I, you know, I'm also thinking he is a smuggler. He probably thought, hey, this sounds actually kind of cool. Um so I don't know. Yeah, I just I I thought that it probably didn't need to be in the movie. They could have just called him Han Solo. And we would all would have accepted that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I felt like they did try to make an origin for everything that probably didn't need to have an origin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, probably not. I mean, I think we could have just accepted that his name was Han Solo, you know, especially because they talk about the fact that later on in the movie, he's not close to his father. So he knew he does have a father. He's not immaculate. He wasn't created by the midichlorians. He just, uh, you know, he, he just ha- is, has an estranged relationship with his with his parents. You know, don't know anything about his mother. They don't go into it. Uh, so, I mean, it stands to reason he could have he could have had the last name Solo. That would be completely okay. And that name mean nothing other than the fact that Han Solo eventually becomes somebody that's more iconic. So. Correct. So from there, he gets dropped off on, or we see, I guess, a few scenes later, I guess it's several months later, that he's in a battle scene. Um, and I can't remember the name of that planet. I'm sure you have that one written down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't I don't have it actually written down. That was more of a mental thing. But what did you think about that? Uh I thought that was a kind of a fun scene. Uh, I I never read all the books and all the backstory of Han Solo and all that, but I do remember that he was in the Imperial Navy. He he flew fighters, right? And he rescued Chewbacca from from the Empire because he didn't like the fact that the Wookiees were enslaved. Um, right. They took parts of that and kind of sprinkled it in this movie. So in the scene, we see him as part of the military, but he does not want to be a part of it. You could tell he hates every minute of it because he's not really a pilot. He's just a grunt that's on the ground fighting right. fighting in the mud. Um, so, yeah, it was a different take, I guess, on the whole Imperial Army aspect of it. But, you know, it was still cool to see that they kept that in the film. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> Yes, I was glad to see that they've that, and there was a lot of EU stuff from his particular story because those three books are three of my favorite of the EU books. The ones about Han Solo, they talk about his backstory, how he gets the Millennium Falcon, um, meeting Lando, getting the life debt from the Wookiee. Uh, what's his name again? Chewbacca. Who knows? He's you know minor character. Nobody really knows yeah, Chewbacca. No one knows about him. No one knows about him. So, um. But anyway, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that part of it as well. But uh, And I guess I kind of like the fact that he wanted to go be this awesome pilot and instead was relegated to being a grunt. Yeah, being a foot soldier, infantry, um, just cannon fodder, really. I mean, they're, they're going trench to trench on somebody's planet, uh, which they, they do go into. And I can't remember which planet they mentioned it was. But basically... I, I thought another interesting thing was the soldiers that are there are like, maybe it was just Han, but I think a lot of them didn't, they were doing their job, but I don't think that they were sold on this idea of the empire, you know? Well, and one thing that Han made the comment of was, you know, they were like, you know, we need to squash this rebellion or whatever the, uh, in the, uh, intruders or whatever. And he goes, well, aren't we the ones that's invading their planet? You exactly. Know? So I, I thought that was kind of a cool nod to how his character takes you know the outlook on different situations um he meets beckett and beckett is this like we think he's this badass <laughs> imperial soldier with two guns that's that can get his shit done he's they called him captain whatever or they beckett? Kept, okay. yeah whatever his name was uh his made-up name they were referring to him as captain and and he led basically the soldiers to victory he got them he got them all out of there safely but you find out Beckett isn't actually part of the Imperial Army. He's a he's a smuggler, rogue person that kind of 
infiltrated it so they can steal a ship. Right. Uh, and I thought that they did a good job of making him see anybody that's played Star Wars: The Old Republic or the the online the MMO that's that's uh, Star Wars MMO, not Galaxies, but the newer one that was done by uh, uh, was it Bethesda Obsidian, whoever did it. Um, the ones that were responsible for Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, it's they, called Old Republic. Uh, yeah, the Old Republic. So I just don't know the the publisher and the and the who developed it, but. Oh, not off the top of my head, anyway. Regardless, they have your your different classes, and one of the classes in that is kind of off of what us you you have a smuggler, but the smuggler, which is Han Solo esque, is also could be a gunslinger. So there are different like subcategories. Like you can go in different directions when you start putting your your uh, your character together and start trying to get all the traits and characteristics that you want for your character. And one of them is a gunslinger, and the gunslinger was Beckett. Beckett was the the smuggler gunslinger. Two guns was you know even even when you pull your guns in the game, you spin them in your hands and you do a forward roll, and then you get behind this this uh, like ion shield or whatever, and so it pops up. You roll behind it, and you just are double you know double firing you know six shooters, and so it was kind of cool to see. Han being his own version of that, but Beckett being and I, and I thought that one of the big criticisms or what I've heard is that Beckett wasn't very well developed, and I thought that he was. I actually really liked Beckett. I knew what his motivations were. I knew kind of the person he was, and I knew that that was eventually who Han becomes. He starts know? to emulate him. Yeah, he starts to become that guy. He's not that guy when we meet him. But I understood his motivations, and I think I understood his motivations because we see Han later. So I already know who this Beckett character is, but I felt like he still was enough of his own person that he he was significant and different and stood out. And that I mean, that's my opinion, but I know there are a lot of people that felt like he wasn't developed very much. No, I Not- actually enjoyed his character. I, I really thought he was a good take on, on that archetype in the Star Wars universe. Um I felt I was a little misled in the trailers because I thought he was going to be more of a father figure type to Han. And yeah. he really wasn't that in the movie. But for the most part, I mean, Woody Harrelson kind of killed it. I I was kind of dumbfounded that they hired Woody Harrelson for a Star Wars movie. I just couldn't believe right. he was going to be in a Star Wars movie. But he fits in the universe pretty well. I thought so too. I thought I really enjoyed his character. Thandie Newton, on the other hand, don't that would that character was could you could go as far as say she was underdeveloped <laughs> yeah definitely um she only had what 10 minutes of screen time if that spoiler right alert. exactly spoiler <laughs> alert yeah so after after he confronts beckett after the battle he 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 learns that they're getting ready to try to smuggle a ship he threatens to uh report them to try to blackmail them to get him off the planet but it rolls reverse. They, you know, get him captured and they throw him into a pit to get eaten by this beast. Now, I thought right off the bat, I thought I was getting ready to see a rancor. So I was getting all excited. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, I saw the two feet come out. And I'm like, is that a Wookiee? And we get introduced to Chewbacca. Now, yes, yes. Here is where I, I don't think they did a very good job of explaining the whole life debts thing because while Han 
and Chewbacca get into a pretty awesome fight, and we get to see Han speak Wookiee for the first time in a Star Wars film. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, he rescued. They team up to get out of there, but there's no mention of a life debt. Right, and 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 I think that maybe there was. Uh, I feel like, and this is also another criticism of the movie um, that. Part of the story between Han and, and Chewbacca was this life debt, and that's the reason why they're together. Um, that Han, Han saves him from slavery and captivity, and and so Chewbacca owes him his life. In this movie, there are multiple opportunities that Chewbacca could leave and go off on his own. I think that Han initially saving him, them working together to get out of the of the the pit, so to speak. To get on the ship, then to get to Kessel, and then the, you know, splitting up so that Chewie can go help the Wookiees that are there. I think that there was enough that happened that maybe during that exchange between, you know, because there's that point right when they're going to get back on the ships where Chewbacca looks at the Wookiees, they have a moment, and then he gets on the ship where he, he says it to them, he doesn't say it to Han, and and in so many words, maybe it's not officially, explicitly a life debt, but he's like, I, this is where I need to be, or something to that effect. I thought it was unspoken. I'm almost wondering if they're kind of trying to change that a little bit because it's never really mentioned in the movies that Chewie has a life debt to Han. Um, I don't think I ever remember seeing that mentioned in any film or cartoon animated series that there's a life debt between the two characters I think that was mentioned in the expanded universe um, so I'm wondering if they're trying to erase that and make it to where that because Han and him butted heads at the beginning but they work together that they just they formed a bond and that they truly are just best friends and that's why they are together yeah yeah and I feel like that's also more organic to me that they come together and they, you know, they work together and they earn each other's trust, uh, which they kind of have done. And, and to me, I think that's the biggest compliment that could be made for this movie is how were Han and Chewie? What, how was their relationship? The fact that their relationship was believable to me, it was the best part of, of the movie was, was their relationship and and I felt like it was earned. It wasn't forced. It, it I felt like it developed over time. You know, they had moments together where they were able to trust each other and 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 work together. And uh, but the decision had to be made. You know, it wasn't like they were forced into it. Chewie had choices. And this is the first movie where I felt like Chewbacca was really a fleshed out character. You know, it started from the beginning where you they meet in the pit and they <laughs> fight each other well it's more of a one-sided fight where Chewbacca is whooping his ass but <laughs> yeah, yeah th and the whole Wookiee scene him speaking Wookiee or I guess yeah whatever yeah yeah I thought it was hilarious he was like yeah I speak a little <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, and first time we ever seen them speak that language and then they, they actually use subtitles on the screen just want to throw yes. that little bit of Easter egg tidbit knowledge out I there. did not know that. Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> so, I mean, you watch an hour worth of the uh, holiday special and listen to people speak Wookiee the entire time and not know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> so, 
All right, so we got all the characters, the main characters, pretty much set up with the exception of one more. Um, and I'm just going to kind of jump ahead a little bit. They basically meet Kira on a ship after a battle kind of goes bad of them trying to steal some of this. Uh, I don't remember what that stuff was called. It was a it was a fuel source for the Imperial ships that they were using. Um, but it wasn't spice. They called it something else. Yeah. Uh, well, th- I think they did mention spice as well. Um, spice is mined on Kessel. Um, and in the books, specifically the three that that had uh, you know, that were on Hans, tr- you know, Hans trilogy, Kessel is also a very uh, fragile planet. Mm-hmm. That there's always a rebellion happening. <laughs> yeah, well, not only fragile in that respect, and and because it's basically slavery over drugs, um, and they're they're there to mine the drugs, but it's also um, been mined so much that the whole the whole I, the planet, the literal planet, is fragile. Oh, okay. So like it could collapse. Um, and I think, in fact, it does. Um, but yeah, I thought that. Uh, and, and this is something that I want to bring into because uh, because when we or I guess we're going into the Kessel portion of it. Yeah, we'll we'll go into that. Uh, because we already talked about the the train heist. Well. Back up just a little bit. This is where Crimson Dawn comes into effect. Oh, yeah, I guess we because, should mention them. Because we find out that um, the uh, Infus Nest is is leading a group. Infus Nest is what you initially think is the the big baddie of the, of the movie. They come to stop the heist that Beckett and Solo and the rest of the group are, uh, are going to try to pull off. And basically, on this planet, they're trying to uh, steal this refined fuel that they can sell to Dryden this, Boss's character. Yeah, Paul essentially Bates a gangster. Character. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and he is what you initially think is the leader of the Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn being this part of the crime syndicate. Um. So. Uh, Basically, I mean, they, they get thwarted in this nest. Uh, they give, they, they kind of have to cut ties with the, the fuel so that they can save their lives. Fuel gets dropped and explodes. They have to deal with the consequences with Crimson Dawn. Infus nest flies off on their cloud riding. Uh, oh, they're, they're a specific type of bike. Um, it's in Knights of the Old Republic, too. Um, uh, Oh, I can't remember. I'll, I'll I'll try to come back to it. Now her group was call, called the Cloud Riders, right? Right, uh, but the bikes that they're riding are a specific type. They're swoop bikes. Those are swoop bikes, and those swoop bikes, you know, they you can swoop racing is is a big deal on and and like Narshada and other planets that are from the expanded universe, and uh, and I think they're all canon now. Like I think Narshada is canon because they mentioned it in other movies, but. Uh, that's like a crime world. Like Narshada is like a seedy place where you know mostly criminals live. I guess apparently, it's like Australia in the 1800s. <laughs> um, so so basically, they have to go pay the piper. They have to go talk to uh, Dryden Boss, uh, and this is when Kira is reintroduced, uh, and we meet her again. She is working for Dryden Boss. 
um, they are permitted to go back and find another way to repay because, you know, obviously they owe a debt to Dryden Voss. And this is when Kessel comes in. They can go to Kessel, steal unrefined fuel, get it refined. Uh, and and uh, the challenge is, though, that they have to get it from Kessel to the refinery faster than they would have normally been able to because they it's unstable it's unstable yeah um so we learn about crimson dawn there but then when we get to kessel is when we learn about the pike syndicate and the pike syndicate we've seen before already they are the ones that uh come out to meet uh beckett and then when they get off the ship they're they have kind of have the hoods and like the the hexagon, not hexagonal, but like pentagonal faces and the eyes mm-hmm. and the little tube that comes out. That's the Pike Syndicate. And if you remember, if I'm not mistaken, on uh, Clone Wars, the Pike Syndicate, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin both have to go meet with the Pike Syndicate. And that is who has Sifo-Dyas. Um, and they've, they've got him held there, you know, in a, in a cell. And that's when Dooku comes and he kills Sifo-Dyas right before Sifo-Dyas can say anything. Because mm-hmm. Dooku's been pretending to be Sifo-Dyas. He went to do the clones and all that other stuff. And um, But anyway, the Pike Syndicate, we've seen them already. So this isn't a new race. This is actually one we've seen. And they are one of the group of crime families. So you have, the, you have Crimson Dawn. Uh, you have uh, the Black Sun, which... Deep dive. Um, you've got uh, Prince Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think he is <laughs> canon. Um, but then you also have so Pike Syndicate, Black Sun, Crimson Dawn, uh, Death Watch, which is the Mandalorians, and it's all under the Shadow Collective, which we'll get into later. But now anyway, Kanji Club, and that's right, <laughs> Kanji Club. Yeah, that's later on. Um, so anyway, yeah. So keep going. You you were talking about the so now we're brought up today with the yeah. Kessel. So we're caught up there. They go on a mission. They have to go get a ship. We get introduced to uh, Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian. When they first walk into that that bar or whatever it was where he was playing the game of Sabacc, you just hear him talking, and all I was picturing was Billy D. Williams. Right. Yeah. Uh, Donald Glover to me was the absolute best in this movie. He he pulled off Lando Calrissian extremely well. He really did. Um, He made the character his own, I feel, but he also homaged uh, Billy Dee just enough to make it believable as, as, as Lando Calrissian. I really thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah, I agree. They play the game of Sabacc. They uh, Han loses because you find out that Lando is a freaking cheater. Yes. Yes. Um, they get the ship. They get on the Millennium Falcon. I guess we can consider the Millennium Falcon a character. We're finally introduced to the Falcon for the first time, and the Falcon right. is beautiful. It's yes. pristine Immaculate. on the inside. Yeah. On the inside, it has c- coffee machines and a kitchen and a cape room. And a whole room for capes. <laughs> so it's just it's just a beautiful ship, and it's piloted by uh, Lando and his partner L three three seven. Right. Who right. was voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Now, 
it seems like Star Wars is starting to do this thing to where they're introducing you to these fantastic droids and the droids pretty much still the show in each movie. In Last Jedi, it was BB-8. In Rogue One, we had uh, K-2SO. In this film, we have L-3. Yes. Who basically was a droid that was... <laughs> who was self-aware of her being what droids were meant for, that they were basically just meant to serve man or whatever. And she fought against that, and she believed in a droid rebellion. What did you think of her character? I, I liked her. I thought that there were times though she was hit or miss. So there were some lines. Um, I thought the little uh, back and forth between her and Kira was pretty good, <laughs> where she's discussing why it won't work between Lando and her. Oh, it works. Yeah. Oh, it works. Yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. I thought that was good. I thought the the droid rebellion on Kessel was pretty funny. Um, and I thought all in all she was good. I don't. She's not my favorite, but I like her more than C three PO. Poor C three PO. Yeah, poor C three PO. We the the gang gets to Kessel. They steal the refined fuel, and they have to escape the planet. There's a there's a small battle. L three dies. L three becomes part of the Millennium Falcon. Now this was a very interesting thing to me here because they took out basically her her memory core or whatever because she supposedly had the best maps in the galaxy yes. and they integrated her into the falcon now in previous movies we always see that big giant circular disc in the background of the cockpit that has the lights and everything that is what they pulled out of her to install it into the ship So, yes. Yeah. I think. No. Yes. I think they gave. I think what they were trying to do there was try to make the Millennium Falcon an actual character by saying that L three is the Millennium Falcon now. Um, that's why the ship kind of has a mind of its own. Uh, kind of brings whole new meaning to Empire when R two D two says he's talking to the ship. Yeah. Uh, so who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to L three. You know. So right. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting take on on that um, yeah I, I thought so too and I think that that's um, the some of the the new books in the series address it address like talking to the ship and how the ship kind of has this personality or whatever uh, which was before they actually revealed that that l3 was part of the ship so I think that they kind of knew that going into this movie and then wrote it into those books, you know, so that that could lead up to this. And then if you went back and read those books, it would make sense. And, and it does tie into, you know, when C-3PO and then we're talking to the, to the ship and saying, and C-3PO, I think said something like, um, you, this ship has the strangest dialect or something like that. And, uh, you know, so something about this ship. And so the ship has a, is a character too. Yeah. Which makes sense. And I think that's great because, I think that sh that particular ship, like the Enterprise, is iconic. Not to use that word lightly. I mean, I think if you saw it, of all spaceships, it's one that is recognizable by people who've seen the movie and have not. You know. I I agree. Uh, th that ship, and of course, uh, you know, uh, the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Death Star. Yeah. Um. After they escape from the planet of Kessel, we finally get to see the Kessel Run. Now, the Kessel Run was just a throwaway line in A New Hope where when 
Han and Obi-Wan meet each other. They start talking about the Millennium Falcon. He goes, you know, you never heard of me? I'm the guy. The Millennium Falcon is the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. And everybody was like, how the hell can they use parsec as a measurement of time? Yeah. Well, we find out in this movie that it wasn't a measurement of time, that the Kessel Run has a specific path that you have to take. And it takes, it's it's mapped out 20 parsecs long. It's, it's actually a measurement of distance. And that you have to go this certain route because if you veer off this route, you can basically die because it's just so unstable. There's planets exploding, things like that. A squid. Um, a giant squid, yeah. Uh, the reason why Han Solo is boasting the whole 12 parsecs thing is because he took a shortcut. Right. And he was able to basically cut the distance. Out of necessity because the rebellion, the robo-rebellion they started on Kessel got the attention of, of the, the empire. empire and so the empire shows up in the right in the middle of their path on the way back forcing them off the trail into you know about half as many parsecs so what did you think of that explanation do you think that was something that they had to include to make sure people understood i think that they had to include it because it's a part of han solo because the ship, Han Solo and Chewbacca are all three. I mean, they're simpatico. You got to have them together, um, because that's that's just what people know. I mean, if if you went a different route, I think it would probably have been okay as well. But these are familiar story beats. I think it's. I think this is what's interesting. I think they could have really messed up by doing everything that you recognize as a something that's Han Solo, like. Just because he's mentioned this or just because at one point Greedo and he interacted that you don't need to meet young Greedo, you know, but this is this is something I think that you could do that is associated with Han Solo and you could do it well and interesting. And I think that they did. You know, I think this was a good way to show that uh, what a parsec is and kind of exactly how that was, you know, how they pulled it off. And then I thought it was really cool to see how they how Han Solo more or less embellished 12 parsecs, you know, because once they get and drop off the fuel to get it refined, he says, you know, it's 12 parsecs if you round down, Yeah, you know. So I thought that was funny. Now, there's a giant creature, what we just referred to as the space squid, called the Maul. Right. What did you think about that whole monster hanging out in space there? Now, we know well, that the, there's aliens the, that can live in space. Right, we've seen them, and they they fly, and they're kind of squid-like as well. But and the mall in the the books, they were like a a gravity thing, right? Right, which they which this still is. This is still a, like a gravity well mall. They didn't give that giant squid a name. Um, it was just living near the mall, and um, it gets sucked into the mall and ripped apart grotesquely. Um, but that was uh, pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, it would be that would have been a miserable way to go. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was cool to see that. Yeah, there are there are lots of we've. I mean, this is not the first or second or third creature we've seen live in space. In fact, in Empire Strikes Back, we see that worm that lives on the moon. That's true. On the asteroid um, that lives in space and is able to actually function in space. Um, and has minox living inside of it. And has Minox that live inside of it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is important to note, too, because although, uh, well, I mean, we don't, let's not get into how science is forgotten and overlooked in Star Wars. So, 
They make the Kessel Run. They land on uh, the planet to meet up with Dryden Voss. And they're intercepted by um, Infus Nest again. To right. which Infus Nest reveals himself to be actually a her. True, yes. Now, was that a shocker to you? No, because I had already knew. I already knew it was a girl. Um, had I not known, yes, it would have been surprising. But I somehow I read about her being cast, uh, or a female being cast as the villain. I didn't mean to, but I did. Yeah, I, I'm actually really glad I didn't read anything about this movie because I was pretty shocked by a, a bunch of things. I was like, man, they disguised her voice really well and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, yeah, I was actually kind of shocked at that reveal. Uh, but you find out that Emphasis is not the bad guy; that she is actually, in fact, working for the rebellion. Yeah. Um, so that that was now that was actually surprising. So, which actually kind of puts Han on a path that you know he, you know he he always talks about in in episode four that he only looks out for himself, only looks out for him and Chewie, only cared about himself. He didn't want to be a part of any rebellion and everything. But he actually helped the rebellion in this movie, um, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting that it kind of set up his his uh, future uh, by showing that he really does not he really does truly care about the rebellion. He really does tr- care about you know actually helping people. He's just I don't know I, I can't explain what I'm trying to what I'm trying to formulate here. Um, uh, kind of set up his destiny basically. Yeah. Well, and Kira mentions it too that she knows who he is. You know, she's like, "I know who you are as a, you know, as a as who you are at your core. That you're a good person." And um, so, I don't think that, that I don't think you ever get the sense that Han is completely selfish. Um, you do get the idea that he wants to help people. I think that we haven't seen the full circle in terms of like, or the the you know the full turn to being grumpy. Uh, or, or uh, I guess, full of self-preservation, you know, where he's really going to look out for him and Chewbacca first. He's not at that point yet. I don't. I, but I think he's getting close because basically we've, you know, once they get everything, and once they, uh, you know, they realize that they have, they have to figure out a way to uh, get this fuel to Dryden Voss, or everybody's starting to kind of turn on one another. Uh, they're coming up with this plan, and I think that Han has learned from being double-crossed by people and from the initial thing that Beckett said of don't trust anybody. You know, don't trust anybody. So he kind of doesn't – he trusts only one person, Kira, you know. And so um, they get in there, and, and uh, they get the – he's, he's going to make an exchange with, you know, with the fuel because now he's aligned with Emphis Nest. And, uh, well, I mean, so when you, when you saw them go into the, you know, his throne room, so to speak, and, and, uh, what were your thoughts? I mean, did you, because at this point, Lando left, right? (laughs) He He pulls off. off, He just takes off because, uh, I mean, the Millennium Falcon has been wrecked and, uh, he got it up and running well enough to, to leave the planet. So, uh, they don't have backup. They don't have a way to get out, get off the planet at this point. Um, and then, and and Beckett's gone, right? 
So when Beckett shows back up in that scene, I was thinking this was part of their plan because he started discussing the plan with Beckett, but right. you don't get to hear the plan. They do that thing in movies where he discusses the plan, it pans off, and you see the other characters looking at those two discussing, and then when they pan back on him, he's like, that is the dumbest plan, you know? So you're yeah. like, well, what's the plan? So I thought that was, they were doing that whole switcheroo thing where, yeah, this was part of the plan where Beckett comes in and blah, 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 blah. But you actually find out Beckett truly double-crossed them. Right. <laughs> and you also find out that Han actually brought the fuel into the thing. You know, they, uh, what's his face? Uh, Dryden Voss was sitting there looking at him. He goes, how did you make it look so so real? Well, it's because yeah. it's the real shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly, because uh, it actually was. We see... Uh, after Beckett gets away, he uh, takes the stuff, he kidnaps Chewbacca, and they they leave. And then Dryden Vo- it's we see a fight between Dryden Voss, Kira, and Han. Yeah. Kira does this martial arts thing that I never thought we would actually hear mentioned in a Star Wars movie, but she said that she learned Terrace Kai, or Terrace Kasi, however you say it. Yeah. Based off of the 1997 horrible video game. Star Wars Masters of the Terrace Kasi. I uh, see. Now this is a, this is new to me. This I did not know. Oh my God! You don't know about Masters of Terrace Kasi? No. It was a PlayStation PlayStation One fighting game. Wow. That featured Han Solo. Luke I do Skywalker. remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting that they threw that in there, and I think Terrace Kasi was also mentioned in several of the books, and yeah. If, in some of my research, I also learned that uh, uh, Darth Maul was a master of Terrace Kasi. That's why he's doing all the flips and the jumping around. That was actually Terrace Kasi that he was using in episode Well, one. that makes a lot of sense because of future revelations. Which I wasn't going to list yet. Uh, Han, Han and Kira take down Dryden Voss. And then they have an exchange where they talk about they need to go get the fuel back and she tells Han to go ahead and go without her that she was going to be right behind him. He takes off after Dryden. She communicates or starts setting up a communicator. She steals the ring off of Dryden Voss's finger, sticks it in his machine, and... There you go. We cut back to Han. (laughs) Right, we cut (laughs) back to Han. To where Han is uh, dealing with Beckett and... um, Beckett's going on his little thing about why he's doing it and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, bam, Han shoots him, which I thought was kind of a throw, uh, a punch in freaking George Lucas' face. It's like, look, Han does shoot first. Right. And here's why. (laughs) So he kills Beckett, and then Beckett says, you know, hey, you finally learned something from me. They have a moment. Beckett dies. We cut back to Kira. Kira's on the phone talking to the leader of the crime syndicate, who happens to be... Spoiler alert. Yep. Maul. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Double spoiler alert. I was not expecting to see Maul on film ever again. I wasn't either, and I I guarantee you that was not just Maul, but that was actually Ray Park. Oh, yeah. It was Ray Park. I talked to Ray Park at the convention. Oh, did you? Yes, it was Ray Park, and the voice was Sam Witwer, the guy who does the voice for Maul in the cartoon. That's awesome. So that was definitely Ray Park as Darth Maul. So 
Maul is back in the Star Wars universe. Now, I think it's hilarious because if you're reading all these uh, articles and stuff about Dar- the secret cameo, secret cameo, secret cameo explained, you know, all these different things that have been seen on the internet, they're like, fans are confused as to why Darth Maul is back. Does this movie take place before episode one? And I'm like, <laughs> no, it does not because then the Empire wouldn't be around. Um, exactly. There is a lot more to Star Wars than just movies. So if you are only watching the movies, you're missing out on the bigger universe. That's right. Darth Maul was, and you've heard us talk about this before in previous episodes, Darth Maul has been brought back to the Star Wars canon in the Clone Wars. Um, And we finally see the real true finale to his story in Star Wars Rebels. So they actually fleshed the character of Maul out. Right. But... It seems like now with this introduction, this movie looks like it's going to take place about five or six years before Star Wars Rebels. Yes. So we're going to see basically what Maul has been up to prior to him meeting Ezra Miller and all them. Well, we know that he was in – we know that he was in – he's kind of a crazy person in, in Rebels. Um, he's always been he, – he, he's kind of come – he's done these two circles. He's done a 720. He basically – he was refined – uh, in in terms of like his training, and uh, he was you know surgical as a as a padawan essentially, or or as a you know as Darth Maul, a Sith apprentice, a Sith apprentice. Um, then he gets cut in half. Uh, then he goes crazy, and he's half spider. He's taken back to Dathomir and given uh, basically new legs, uh, literally and figuratively. By, they they kind of cleanse him of this this insanity. He and his brother go on a rampage. Uh, that's a Savage Opress, which is maybe the least inventive name ever. Um, you don't like the name Savage Opress? No, I think it wasn't well thought out, is all. Um, and uh, and then now we see him here. You know, we we do see him interact with the Pike Syndicate. We do see him basically take over the Black Sun. Um, and now he's heading up the Shadow Collective, which, from what I understand at this point in the lore, is all of those organizations. Because we know he also worked with Death Watch. Um, worked with is used loosely. Um, so I don't know if this is all of those crime syndicates together underneath the Shadow Collective. Because obviously uh, Crimson Dawn is its own entity. And they're reporting to Maul. So I don't know how they're going to do or what they're going to do with that, if anything. But I did think it was really cool. I did think it was kind of stupid that he lights his lightsaber up just to show us that he's got the double-sided lightsaber still. I think they probably did that more for people that was like, is that really Darth Maul? They lit up a lightsaber and like, oh shit, it is Darth Maul. You know? Yeah, but why would you do that? It's like... Well, you know, you have, you have people, moviegoers, that aren't watching the cartoons and stuff. So when they see this this character, they're thinking, "Oh, it's just another one of his species." No, it's not one of his species. It's Darth Maul. No, but he and they do and they mention Dathomir, which I don't know if it's ever been mentioned in the movies. I, I know it's it mentioned, been mentioned in the it, it's been mentioned in the in the books so. Um, and uh, so anyway, I thought that was really cool because that's where he's stationed. That's where he's currently located at the time. So we know where he is at least five years before Rebels. Um, before he goes off on his rampage to find all the holocrons. It also looks like in the background of the throne room on that ship that there is a holocron, potentially. 
Uh, I don't know if this is an Easter egg or if this is even the case, but if you go back and you watch, there is a what looks like a holocron on the wall. I'll have to look um, back for that. Yeah, but um, anyway, but all in all, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it ended on a on a note that that lets you think this could be. Well, let's get to the end. Well, so. the la- very last scene that we see in the movie is he goes, goes to a different planet where Han Solo uh, meets up with Lando again. Lando, I was laughing because it looked like he was just chilling in a Hawaiian shirt. I know it wasn't really a Hawaiian shirt, but right. that's the kind of image I got of him. Uh, he's playing a game of Sabacc. Uh, Solo goes in again. Uh, Solo learned when he... When he shook hands with Han, he, or Lando, he saw that Lando had a card cheating device in his hand and somehow stole the card that he usually has up his sleeve. So they were playing the final game of Sabacc. Han goes all in. Lando goes all in. Lando tries to eject a card, can't eject a card. And Han basically reveals that he has the card and wins the Falcon from Lando Calrissian. Roll credits. No, Roll credits. no after credit scene. Yeah, there. I didn't stay. I didn't check. I was like, "This is Star Wars." I we checked. Have one. Yeah, I checked. Just to be sure, there's not. Although the article that I read, and this probably was the most egregious thing that I that that I have associated with this movie. I read an article that I was just trying to find out if there's an after credit scene, and it took three paragraphs, and you had to scroll down like four or five pages to get to the part where it says there is no after credit scene. It was all this to say. To explain how Marvel movies do it, Marvel's owned by Disney. These seem to be a part of. It gave me a whole history of after credit scene, all to say no. That sounds like a website that's paid by the word. Oh, I, I it had to be. It had to be. <laughs> uh, so, overall thoughts on the film? I thought it was good. It set up. It set up Solo. It set up the character Han Solo, um, on a path to where we're gonna where we're gonna get to know him later. I thought it did a really good job telling the backstory. I thought it did a really good job uh, setting up events that we know later, and I, I, I thought it felt a lot like Star Wars. It was something that was really cool. I keep telling people go see this movie because it's a side of Star Wars you never seen on film. You get to see the crime syndicates, you get to see smuggling, all sorts of things. You don't get to see that in the regular Star Wars film. Right. And this was something completely different, and I really truly appreciated this movie. Yep, I agree 100%. I think that this movie was fun. That's the best way I can describe it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it doesn't it adds a lot of lore to you know, but not like big picture saga stuff. It's like little details that fill in and make the world more of a lived in place. You get to see more different alien species, lots of um, practical effects. Uh, I thought the train heist was actually pretty awesome and fun and it was actually one interesting of the coolest looking scenes in the movie that was like it was it was really cool special effects yes very much so i and so from that perspective i really enjoyed it so i think that this is a it's definitely one i'll go see again i'm gonna take the kids it's it's the probably the first i took them to rogue one too even though that was kind of depressing but exactly but I think this one's this one's much more fun, and so I think that it's it's back to the kind of the roots of it being more of a family friendly without uh, being ham fisted or inserting a Jar Jar character. So I enjoyed it. Now there's there's two Easter eggs I want to talk about real fast. Um, they're just minor characters that were in the movie. The first one is uh, we all know Ron Howard directed this film, 
And Ron Howard, if you ever watch any of his movies, he always has his brother appear as a character in the film. Well, in this movie, Clint Howard was in the movie. He played the uh, droid wrangler in the bar scene where L3 grabs his face and slams him up against the wall. Oh, okay. So that was Clint Howard. That was Ron Howard's brother. So can't miss the guy. He's He has this distinct look to him. So when I saw him on screen, I was like, there he is. The second Easter egg that I thought was really interesting was uh, Warwick Davis. Now, Warwick Davis has been a part of the Star Wars universe since Return of the Jedi, and he's he's been a, he's been an appearing in a lot of the films as some sort of background character. In this movie, I had to look this up because uh, he's referenced on IMDb as a character called Weasel. Okay. Now, uh, Warwick Davis in this movie, he's actually teamed up with Infant's Nest Group. He's the little short guy there. You've probably seen him when he took his helmet off. You're like, oh, that's Warwick Davis. Um, well, Weasel, if you go back into IMDb and you look at episode one at, at, uh, Warwick Davis's cameo in that movie, he played a character called Weasel in that movie. Ah, okay. So I'm wondering if they're finally starting to make Weasel (laughs) a character that's been traveling throughout the Star Wars saga. So kind of interesting. I just thought that was a, I don't think it's a coincidence. So I, I don't know if they're supposed to be one of the same. Or, or right. what, but it's it's just interesting that it's played by the same actor, they have the same name, and it's what, Han Solo takes place, what, 30 years after episode one? No. Yes. No, can't be 30 years, it's 10 years, right? Which one Which one now? Episode one. Episode one is 10 years before episode two. Yeah, I guess it would be 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So... Yep, here we go. So that's two little quick Easter eggs I just wanted to quickly discuss. I I thought those were two little cool hidden blinking missing cameos. (laughs) Uh, What about your final thoughts? Final thoughts. I think um, this is uh, another – it's a great addition to the Star Wars uh, pantheon, the the, the, – the add something to the lore. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's really a must see. I think you should go see it in the theaters uh, if you can. Uh, so I, I'm happy with the direction that they're going. And um, I would actually really look forward to seeing something else in this world starring all of the same characters. Really, I really enjoyed Han Solo in this. I, I did too. This is truly a movie you don't have to see to understand what's going on in the Star Wars universe. But for all those people out there who are boycotting the film just because they feel that this isn't Han Solo, I, I feel that you're completely missing out. You're getting ready to see a whole new side of Star Wars. Um, I'm really excited to see where this takes us, and this really gets me excited for a potential Obi-Wan movie in the future. Because if this is the direction they can go with crime syndicates and all that, I can only imagine what they would do with, with Obi-Wan like maybe struggling from PTSD or something like that on, on Tatooine. So yeah. it's really interesting. Uh Totally recommend to go see this movie. See it. Go see it. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Temple of Geek podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter by using the handle Temple of Geek. Do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows? Why don't you head over to templeofgeek.com? There you'll find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I've been Daniel. I'm Stacy. And we'll see you next time. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit TempleofGeek.com, your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.